welcome to the Shrink Think Podcast. I'm Aaron. And I'm Nathan. And we're both licensed professional counselors in Oregon here to open up our lives and minds with you. We'll share some of our experience as counselors, business owners, and most important of all, as everyday people. Hi, and welcome to Shrink Think, a podcast that explores the human experience from two therapists' perspective, with a little humor and a lot of compassion to help you understand yourself and learn new ways of being. Hello, and welcome to our show today. I'm excited to have on a very special guest, although all of our guests are special. I'm especially excited for Dr. Randy Kinnison because... I met Randy about the time that I was starting my private practice and he was starting his, I guess, second or third business, the one he's been working on recently. So I'm excited to introduce him and talk with him and let him share his story. But let me tell you a little bit about him. Dr. Kinnison also goes by the name Dr. Peace. He founded Genesis Mediation in 2005 when transitioning from traditional ministry to house churches. And later he then founded Genesis Divorce and Family Center, Genesis Good Hearth HOA Center, Genesis Consulting, Genesis Family Aging Center, Genesis Maestro Web Design and Marketing, and Dr. Peace, which is his podcast. So as you can tell, he is an absolute serial entrepreneur. Don't be surprised if he designs and creates something on the show here. We'll give that away for free, I'm sure. He's a generous guy. His dream is creating peace for over 3 million people by 2030. So Randy, welcome to the show. Thanks, Aaron. Nathan, it's uh, great to be on the show with you guys. Yeah, it's great to have you. So as I mentioned, uh, when I had first met you, we were both starting our practices, our, our businesses here. So tell me a little bit about your story and how you arrived to that point. I really felt that I was feeling a calling of God to transition from traditional ministry to house churches. You know, I've seen it being very effective in other parts of the world. And so I, I said, okay, I'm going to have to support myself. And I didn't want to do other kinds of things. I actually thought about counseling, Aaron, because I had a, just like a few hours short of a master's in counseling when I had my uh, Master of Divinity degree. And I practiced probably 10 hours of counseling throughout you know, 30 years of work in ministry. And, but they wanted me to go back and get another degree. They wouldn't account any of the, they wouldn't account for any of that stuff. They want me to go, you know, licensing and all that. And I'm going, okay, that, that's not going to work. So I already have, you know, a doctorate. Well, how can I leverage this? So mediation always kind of intrigued me and always felt like I was a natural mediator. And my conference had used me to go different parts of the U.S. and Africa a couple times, deal with some things there. So I thought this seems like a good fit and it seems like there's good billable hours here and all. Uh, but everyone said, well, you can't get a job. And yeah, there are very few jobs in mediation um, and they don't pay well. But if you're willing to, you know, be an entrepreneur and go out and, and launch a practice, it can be quite rewarding. And that's what I was willing to do. Unfortunately, my wife was crazy enough to jump off the cliff with me. And so we started a new church and started a new practice, both having 90% fail rates back in 05. And uh, we've never looked back. And so you've been obviously very successful with the list of other businesses you've created since then. Walk us through a little bit about, you know, getting started. How do you start a business like this going in knowing that it's got a 90% fail rate? Do you think that you're different or you're going to do things differently or like, how did, how did you handle that? I don't know if it's so much of knowing that you want to try and do things differently while well, you want to avoid the pitfalls other people do. But I think 
the one of the real keys is when you need to have a good work ethic and you need to be disciplined is really important. So like when I was first launching, I realized, okay, I don't have any clients. I have to go get clients and they're not going to just immediately just call me because I put up a website. So I spent a lot of time word of mouth marketing and I, I can't emphasize this enough for most people especially if you're trying to build a regional presence. And if you're trying to build a national presence, it's a little more complicated than that. But for a regional presence, you need to go out and meet people who are the kinds of people who will feed you clients and you can reciprocate. And that's how we met, Aaron, because uh, not only have I referred people to you, but you referred people to me. But I spent literally 30 hours a week networking when I first started. So it was not unusual for me to have five meetings a day. Wow. Uh, I was going to coffee shop to coffee shop. <laughs> That's when coffee shops were open and <laughs> everyone was there. And that was my office back then. The other key is just really keeping your overhead incredibly low. Keep it as low as possible. So I subleased an office space. You know, I had a virtual phone line and I had my computer and I, you know, basically worked from home as much as I could. And I just rented space as I needed it because as a mediator, I only needed it, uh, you know, for two hour increments typically, and I could just use a conference room. So I started as lean as possible. And I can't emphasize that enough that you don't have to go out and spend a ton of money to try and get started, depending on what it is you're trying to do. But for most people, you can go very lean and the leaner you can go, the more money than you can be able to, to upgrade, you know, upgrade your equipment, upgrade your marketing, all those kinds of things. If you start out with spending too much overhead, it can that that's what can sink the boat. Right, right. You know, um, as you're talking with all these businesses that you've started, my question is: Are you feeling niches that you are thinking are unique that are not out there, or what's your motivation from like when you decide, you know, what we need to do this business? I'm, I'm wondering why not find somebody to do it, you know, like a normal person in the market that's already doing it. Cause I know you to be a generous person. Mm -hmm. I don't think you're super financially driven, although I know that we care about money. So what's that motivation about? Well, I just feel like there, there is a niche and, uh, what, what you want to do is you want to continue to niche down because, uh, when you do that, you eliminate a lot of your competition and you're not trying to offer services that others offer that you're uh, competing against. So like one of the first, second, businesses I opened was uh, an HR company. And I did that because I was starting to do workplace mediations and I was looking around and I'm saying, you know, nobody's really trying to bring peace to the workplace. I mean, there's people doing all the HR typical stuff of handbooks and job descriptions and, you know, those, you know, helping with compliance, those kinds of things. But I said, like, who's, who's actually trying to change culture? Who's actually trying to bring peace to the workplace? And then I just said, well, that seemed like a pretty good thing to do, right? Most people don't go, you know, they, they, they quit their job because of the drama, right? And they quit jobs because of their bad bosses. Most people don't quit a company, they quit their boss. And I said, this seemed to be a, a real need and a, a niche, right? So what I did is I took what I learned from mediation and applied it to a niche. And that's what I've done with all my companies. It's like I learned my skill set and see how my skill set can uniquely serve a certain area of need. So we didn't really, I mean, we did help with some of the, you know, the basic HR stuff, but that wasn't our goal. We were more of the Cadillac model. We came in and everyone on my, on my team had masters or doctorates and we came in to really consult at a higher level. And, uh, we would train bosses to be better bosses. So we did leadership training. We got to know everybody on staff. And so they felt comfortable with us. Uh, we basically, 
you know, befriended them, so to speak. I mean, we wrote notes on their birthdays and gave them Starbucks cards. And, and the goal was when they, uh, if they had a problem, they would call us instead of call an attorney. And that's exactly what happened is people would call us, we'd diffuse the situation, we'd de-escalate it, and then we try to work it through because we were working with their boss as well as them as an employee. You know, we, we kept everybody out of court. Uh, there's a couple times we had attorneys uh, that we had to deal with because of some issues, but we kept them out of court and we kept them out of the media. And those are two really big things for either nonprofits or for profits uh, are those two issues. So that was very successful. And I particularly enjoyed that work. And I enjoyed, you know, really kind of caring for people. For me, as a former pastor, these people kind of became my my new parishioners, so to speak. You know, it was just great to love on people and let them know somebody cared and somebody's willing to listen to them. You know, at the end of the day, that's what a lot of us as humans need, right? We want to make sure we matter and our work matters. And we want to know somebody really cares for us at the end of the day. We're not just a number. We're not just an employee, a, a cog in the machine, right? I think that's so important, and I think you're totally right that we are so used to being treated like a number or, in social media these days, a product. And the sincerity of your mission, your drive to to bring peace, totally comes through in what you're saying. What I wonder is, when did you discover that about yourself? When did you realize, oh, I'm I care about peace? Well, I've probably always cared about peace. That's why I went into mediation in the first place. But the more I dove into mediation, the more I was helping people. It's, it's like that old Visa commercial, you know, it says skiing $10, what wouldn't be $10, $100, you know, you know, the lunch <laughs> 50, you know, the experience priceless, right? You know, so many times I found walking away from experiences with people that you are able to give them peace. And every, every morning when I wake up, I know, hey, today I'm going to create a little more peace in this world. That's just an amazing feeling to have day in and day out and knowing that you're making a difference. And, you know, I know I made a difference when I was a traditional pastor, but I'm reaching far more people now. And I think I'm making far more impact than I ever did when I was pastor of a local church. So I'm really grateful for the opportunities and the potential to just, you know, hopefully next 10 years reach 3 million people, help them have more peace in their life. Yeah, it's really obvious just in knowing you, uh, as long as I've known you, that absolutely comes through in everything that you've done. I've, I've even worked with you on some cases in your mediation office a few times, and I've definitely seen that you know live and in person. Uh, and that's very clear with the direction that you're going in your career now, you know, making this peace like your brand, you know, you're called Dr. Peace now. When in your life did you know, you know, you said earlier that I've peace has always been important to me. When did you like first have that awareness that, wow, this is like really important to me and maybe not as many people are talking about it or this is so important to my identity. I think I'm going to pursue this in all the things that I do. Yeah, it probably has evolved, Aaron. I mean, uh, obviously it was there strong enough to, to select the career of mediation. I could have chosen a lot of different pathways to support myself, but it just seemed like this resonated in me the most. And it, it felt like it was just true to myself. So one of the things I always do is I've done the whole battery of assessments, right? And, you know, and I, what I've tried to do is learn, like I've done the strength finder, I've done Briggs Myers, I've done all the, you know, other assessments. And what I do is, is at least once every three months, I have a day of retreat. And I always take all those assessments out. And I remember who I am, and how I'm fashion, and I try to be true to myself. Here's the thing. I'm directing my own path now, right? I'm creating my own companies. 
it's interesting how some entrepreneurs can create their own path, but that path can get skewed. And all of a sudden they find themselves doing something they really didn't want to do. And they're not having a lot of fun. And now all of a sudden they just traded a job for a new job. It's just the job they created. And so there's a difference between, to me, really uh, having more of the freedom of being an entrepreneur and just trading, again, just getting into the niche of trading time for dollars. And that can quickly evolve into just a new job with all the headaches of a new job other and without any benefits. <laughs> so, <laughs> and you all have to start that way. It's not like you can't, you, you have to begin this, you have to begin your journey that way. But as you, as you grow, you want to think about how can I be in a place to multiply, right? And how can I multiply what I'm doing and bring others on board? Like I knew from the very beginning, I love collaboration. I knew I was going to build a team. That was never a doubt. Like I never had a vision that I would just be the solo practitioner. I always had a dream that I would have a team of people around me so that there could be a greater impact. And it's probably the last few years as I was really, that I really settled on Dr. Peace and launched Dr. Peace of that. Yeah. So I'm, you know, I'm going to be 64 in another month and I'm realizing, you know, the years that I have on this planet, I, I want to make them really count. And when I tell people I want to reach 3 million people, they kind of chuckle and smile. And I said, no, I actually have a plan for that. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. And I'm, and I feel like it's actually pretty realistic. Yeah. And I just, even if I fail, maybe I only reach a million people. Gee, that'd be horrible that I only reached a million people, right? Um, <laughs> and I want to give to that. It's like, I don't like retirement's not in my blood. So I'd like to slow down a little bit more. Like I want to take a few more trips with my wife and stuff, but I already have a kind of my future mapped out. I call it semi-retirement. And in my semi-retirement, we have a lot of, we're going to be gone for about a month in January. We live in Portland, Oregon. So it's nice to be gone <laughs> in January out of the dreariness, but then, you know, take about a week every every month to go somewhere and travel and do something. Then in the fall, we do an international trip and, and I could do that. I can still be writing. I can still be mentoring my staff. I can, I, I can still be podcasting. You know, I can do that for the rest of my life as far as I can tell, you know, and that to me would be a great rhythm for my life until the day I can't do it any longer. Wow. That that's so inspiring. I mean, in a lot of ways, it seems like it is unattainable or unreachable, but really just in hearing your story, it just starts out with seeing an opportunity and trying to create a, a niche here and a niche there. And over time, it seems like, you know, with all of those opportunities, you put them all together and they've, they've just been stepping stones to where you're at now. And then obviously you've got some plans ahead of you for where you want to take that. In a lot of ways, it feels like it's a whole lot more attainable to me. Of course, I've got a lot more years to do my career to get to where you're at. But one of the things as you're talking about, you know, growing and expanding and, you know, reaching 3 million people, I'm thinking as you have grown and expanded and reached more and more people, was there ever a time where you doubted yourself or you faced some sort of fear of like, what am I doing? Or like, how, how in the world am I going to make this work? Or what if I do this Dr. Peace thing and people don't, don't buy it? They don't believe me. What's your experience been with any of those like internal fears that a lot of people face? Oh, everybody goes through the imposter syndrome, you know, like, who am I to be doing this? And believe me, there's more than once we were wondering how we were going to pay a mortgage you know, along the way. You know, there's always those pieces. And one of the things that's helped me quite a bit that's a little bit unique for me is on my strength finder, one of the things I have is confidence. And so for whatever reason, I've just always had this kind of quiet confidence that God gave me a brain. I feel like I can learn 
I, I can figure it out and I w- want to be a learner. And I think if you want to be a learner, if you're open to feedback, if you're open to constantly learning, then that really opens doors for you and helps overcome the fear. When you feel paralyzed, and you guys know this as counselors, you know, when people feel paralyzed, they don't have a plan, right? And and they can easily fall into depression. And one of the key factors I've always found is just having a plan of like, what's the next step? Feeling like, okay, the next step, and then the next step, and then the next step. And knowing that that next step is going to bring you closer to a goal, even though you don't feel it or even see it at the moment. You just have to trust that this is the pathway and it's a similar pathway that others have have traveled in order to be successful. And it may not be identical for sure, but you learn and you lean on others who have gone before you and say, this is this this pathway seems like it makes sense and it's made sense for others. And then you just need to be able to, you know, follow it, pivot when you need to. But most importantly, you know, keep moving forward. And even more importantly than that, pick yourself up when you fall down. I mean, if you really want to learn, then you fail faster. You have to be able to fail. And uh, I haven't been bankrupt. Uh, it's been times. It's been, you know, it's been skinny for sure. But um, going forward, but it's like failure was never an option. Yeah, I'm going to pick myself up and I'm going to keep going forward. And I think that's the other key is just don't you just don't quit. You know, you keep you keep after it. Yeah, I think one of the takeaways that I'm having so far with this conversation is the time out that you take for evaluation to maintain your identity and your professional identity. I'm wondering, even from my own life, I, we just keep getting bigger and then ends up with more responsibility. Now we're doing a podcast. We're looking at expanding again. And when you said that, I thought, you know, I really need to probably sit back and do that. The other thing that comes to mind is personality differences. I'm, I'm aware that some of our audience is not as type A driven, prone to really like self-evaluation by an instrument of some kind. But I'm realizing as you say that, that could be pretty valuable. And I'm wondering, when you did some of that evaluation, did you ever look at things and go, man, I'm going to have to not do X anymore. I think I'm going to get rid of that. Like, and, or I think I'm going to double down on this. Is that the kind of thing that happens for you during that, during that time? Yeah, absolutely. There's no use of reflecting if you don't, aren't able to pivot and make changes and adjust to what you, what you need to be doing and, and understanding like if this isn't working, like you need to change that, right? Right. Why keep pounding your head against the wall with something that's not, and sometimes people get so attached or uh, they love their, whatever their thought is, or they get distracted by the next shiny new thing. And both of those will take you away from your goal. So you have to be able to keep focused And that's actually a little challenging for me because I am a serial entrepreneur. So, you know, your strengths are both a strength and a weakness. So my highest strength is activator. So it means I could start a company literally every day and I wouldn't be afraid to, (laughs) (laughs) which which really scares my wife, (laughs) you know. I'm not surprised if you're writing down some ideas right now as we're talking. (laughs) To give you an example, this time that I just had away, uh, which is really a serendipitous gift. And and so I had some great time to reflect. I was able to step away from things for, for a few days. And while I'm sitting there by the lake and just thinking, I call it my think time. And so I did really did analysis of the different companies and say, okay, where do I really want to focus on moving forward? Okay, I'm 64. I'm not going to live another 60 years. Pretty sure about that. Pretty sure, you know, God willing, I'll maybe have another 20 and hopefully productive, but may not, you know, by the 80s is when I really see people falling off a, a lot. So I'm saying that I've got X amount of years to be really probably productive here. And so what is it I'm going to focus on? And it really helped me analyze like which companies am I going to uh, really um, double down on and one that I see are going to make the most impact. And that's where I 
I really look at, okay, what, what are those companies? And I came away with that, right? I did, I was able to do the analysis. It wasn't just feeling though. It was like actually being able to do some of the analysis and looking at the hard numbers and saying, okay, of, of all the companies, here's the ones that I personally really need to focus on. Now I have leaders for each area, each company, they need to focus on those companies, right? Their particular company. And I need to mentor them. But as far as me personally, there's a few that I need to double down on more to focus to actually achieve that goal of the 3 million people. I mean, yeah, it sounds like you've got, it's interesting, you've got like this really clear goal that you're working toward that isn't like, I mean, it, you know, reaching 3 million people is a is kind of a specific thing, but it it's not like I'm going to reach it in this way. And that's where like you've got a clear direction, but also a ton of flexibility in trying to be open to learning and adjusting how that's going to look and the path to get there, maybe even a little bit of the timing, but just staying focused on that and, and reevaluating how things are going, you know, dropping what needs to be dropped and expanding or investing more what needs to be invested. So just sounds like there's just a lot of awareness about what's going on and a lot of honesty with yourself about where things are at. It, would you say, is that, is that right? Yeah. I mean, you have to look at your own, you know, what your own strengths are too. And 10 years ago, I thought I was going to write all these books. Well, now I pivoted and I, I really think online courses are probably a better focus than trying to, I may come back and after I do the course, maybe uh, publish a book, uh, kind of backfill it that way. But I really enjoy teaching and I really like creating online courses. So a lot of the companies are going to be having online courses. And what kind of my aha moment was lately was I don't really don't have to generate all these. I can reach out to other people who want to, you know, collaborate with me and I can generate these courses a lot faster, probably with more quality and give some people who would never probably think about writing in that space or creating something, give them an opportunity to dip their toes in the water and help them expand, you know, what they're doing as well in their reach. So one of the things I'm going to be doing here quite shortly is reaching out to different professionals and saying, hey, would you be open to collaborating on an online course together and then work out the details, you know, funding and all about that. But these courses I want to put out, I don't have to individually be cranking them all out. There's certain ones that I need to myself. I know I can accelerate that whole process, especially when I hire somebody to help edit and pull it together. Now I can probably start developing courses you know, probably, you know, probably three or four times what it would be if it was just me. So in, in light of that, are you now as you're developing the courses or even having the thought about e-courses, in your mind, are you linking that towards your 3 million folks that you're trying to get? Oh, absolutely. But more importantly, I'm trying to be true to that particular company, right? So all my companies now, uh, as I've really thought through things this, this, last, this last year and a half, Every company is going to have three revenue areas. Uh, one will be billable time. One will be online courses developed to serve that particular community of folks. And the other one will be communities that we create. One of them will be a free community. The other one will be a paid subscription community. So that will be all my companies are going to have that format. So there'll be three sources of revenue uh, from each company. And then when you think about it, only the billable time is really trading time for dollars. The others become passive income. Uh, pretty much it takes time to generate the course. And obviously you have to market it and all that, but it becomes people can be 
buying those courses while you sleep, right? Same thing with uh, communities. You know, once you build those communities up and you offer value for those people, if you offer enough value, people will spend the money and it, it just becomes a great exchange for the ability to have other people interacting as well as you being on that platform and them being able to pick your brain a little bit and make it, you know, in a, you know price point it in a way that makes it affordable for people. Everybody wins. And it's a great way to bless my staff as well. So they can help create the content. They can help, they can jump on. And because I don't want, I can't be on these, on all these communities <laughs> forums myself, right? right. Um, my, my staff will join me. And so it'll be either myself or my, or my staff on all of those, on all those communities, uh, moderating them and speaking into them. But they'll be hearing from people who are experts in their field and having a chance to interact with them and help them, you know, be successful themselves. You know, if you think about that and how many people can be part of a community and all those different companies, that starts that starts reaching a, quite a few people. That's what gets kind of fun when you think about the expansion of that and how it could how it could be a real blessing to quite a few people. I'm realizing as you were explaining that some some of my question is about content, like as you're trying to get folks to come beside you and and do some teaching and you you do some mentoring. Are you looking for specific types of people, that kind of thing? Oh yes. <laughs> oh, yes. Um, I'll be looking for very specific types of people and people who have knowledge in certain areas. Yeah. You know, like the book I wrote called The Decision Tree of Aging, we've launched the Genesis uh, Family Aging Center to, to complement that. Uh, one of the courses I want to produce, I know, is on just on dementia and just helping. This is an area that a lot of people have misunderstandings around. So I, I want some people who have some real knowledge, you know, some, you know, some doctors and people, you know, psychi psychiatric nurses, pe people who can speak in that have good knowledge to share and good content and can do it in a way then that people can actually receive it. So it's one thing to have the knowledge. It's another thing to be able to put it in layman's terms so people can fully understand it and be helpful, helpful to them. Um, so that would be an example of like of a course I want to develop in that particular field. The key is developing courses that the market wants. You have to listen to your market to know what courses. Just because you have a great idea for a course doesn't mean the market is looking for that course. So it's really listening well to your people you're serving. And that's why you listen to people that you're serving in your billable time or in a community they're on and you're listening to the comments they're making. And then you go design a course that meets that need because you're meeting people's needs. It's going to be successful. Yeah. That's so consistent with what I've known of you, you know, over the years is you care about people, you connect with people really well, you're generous of yourself with them, but you're also really connecting with them and trying to serve them at the same time that you're doing all these things that you're aiming for in your life. Um, and I just think that's just really awesome, just really congruent with who you are. And obviously, it just it's really magnetic, makes people sort of gravitate toward you. You mentioned, just as we wrap this show up, you mentioned a little bit ago that you've got this book that you have put together. Um, I know you probably want to write some more books or do something else in the future, but you've got one already. Um, tell us a little bit about that. And I think you had also mentioned that you were offering some sort of a uh, discount for our audience. Right. Yeah. It's called, so it's called The Decision Tree of Aging. Uh, I wrote it several years ago. It, and uh, that was a presentation that I was giving to, to people um, probably probably five to seven years ago, and just helping people understand the different 
things that need people need to take care of as parents age. So there's quite a bit of end of life things in people around the state and attorneys and legal stuff around building a state and writing your will and stuff. But no one was really writing about like, how do we navigate this whole aging process with our parents? And we were in that field of helping, you know, families get on the same page when the conflict erupted. And I just realized there's just a number of things that people need to get their ducks in a row on so that they can, their kids don't have this massive issue of dealing as their parents age as well as when they pass. And so I, because I collaborate, I asked a couple of my staff members who'd like to write a book with me and a couple of them raised their hands. So Mark Drukup and Kim Christensen collaborated on that project with me. And uh, it was definitely a labor of love for sure. <laughs> and it's parable form. So uh, the, it reads more like a story, uh, especially the first part of the book. And the second part of the book is real practical kind of here's the here's the branches and the roots you need to take care of and really think through with your with your mom and dad and or if you're the mom and dad to do that for your kids. But anyway, that book normally sells for nine ninety nine. You can get it on Amazon. I can't offer it a discount through Amazon, but I can offer it personally. So if they hit me up at Randy at Dr. D-O-C-T-O-R dash peace dot com, I'll offer that half price and you just need to help cover the the shipping, which would be, I think, a, a buck fifty or something like that. So it'd be like six fifty for a book that normally sells for nine ninety nine. Awesome. Yeah. And um, speaking of uh, your online presence, are, tell us where else you are on social media. Your website is dr-peace.com. And um, what other social media are you on? How can people find you? Yeah, I'm on Twitter at Dr. Peace. I'm on Instagram at Dr. Peace. I'm on Facebook at Dr. Peace. Pretty much Dr. Peace will get you to me. <laughs> so Randy, Randy at dr-peace.com. So any of those ways, if anyone wants to write me personally, I'd be, I'll do my best to respond personally to a question uh, that you might have and any, any way I can help you. Well, great. Randy, thank you so much for taking some time to share with us about your journey and, and your passion, your heart for peace. Uh, I really want to encourage you guys to listen to his podcast, The Dr. Peace Show. He actually interviewed me on it earlier. We talked about some boundary stuff and it's awesome, not just because I was on it, but because this guy's the real deal. You know, he's really congruent with uh, what he's doing in his life and who he is as a person. And he's got a very clear mission. And I think he is accomplishing that really well. So it's a great listen if you uh, want to know what that's more about and want to learn how to apply that to your life and in your community. That's the Dr. Peace Show. So Randy, thank you again so much for coming on our show. Yeah, thank you, Randy. It's great to talk with you. Yeah. Thanks, Aaron and Nathan. I appreciate what you guys are doing too and all the help you're giving folks. Thanks for listening to our show. Don't forget to head over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts to leave us a review and subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. You can also visit our website at www.shrinkthinkpodcast.com forward slash course and sign up for our free email course, Nine Ways to Overcome Fear and Self-Doubt. And you'll get nine weeks worth of customized, practical strategies you can use to get past the fear that's holding you back in your life. Thanks again for listening.